0: Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave, that's me. My guest today is Shay Chamberlain. She's the national brand ambassador for Never Never Distilling Co. She's an accomplished bartender and bar manager with time at two multi-award winning bars that are featured on the world's 50 best bars list, Bull a place in Sydney and Black Pearl in Melbourne. Shay is someone whose passion and smarts and enthusiasm shine through whenever you have a conversation with her. And in this chat, we talk about what she's learned working with some of the Australia's very best bartenders at some of Australia's very best bars, why she never wanted to be a brand ambassador, the challenges involved in being a BA at this particular moment in time, and what she thinks are the key factors in the success so far of Never Never Distilling Company. That brand has been a standout since it debuted in 2016, winning countless awards. Their distiller and co-owner, Tim Bost, was named International Distiller of the Year in 2021. And at the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards, where I've been a judge for the last six years, Never Never has been named the champion Australian distiller at the awards for the last two years running. They're small and independent and making some very big waves indeed. So my chat with Shay Chamberlain in just a moment. But first, this episode is sponsored by Australian Cocktail Month. It's a great initiative to get people back into the bars and it takes place this May. One ticket will get you access to exclusive cocktail menus in 144 bars across 12 cities for the entire month of May. You can learn more about Australian Cocktail Month at australiancocktailmonth.com.au and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Australian Cocktail Month. Now my chat with Shay Chamberlain. Shay Chamberlain, welcome to Drinks at work from Boothby. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm very excited.
0: I want to we'll start talking about actually what is your title to start with? What's the official job role that you've got?
1: Uh, so I am the national brand ambassador for Never Never Distilling Co.
0: Before we get into talking about what it's like to be a brand ambassador particularly at this wonderful juncture in time that we find ourselves at can you tell us how did you get started in hospitality did you start off as a bartender or were there other jobs involved
1: yes uh so I'm definitely a bartender by trade and I started off like lots of Aussies I went traveling uh stayed longer than I was meant to and needed needed to pay pay my way so got a job in a pub told them I knew what I was doing obviously (laughs) didn't uh and yeah just kind of went from there I was working at a uh a classic British pub and then realized that I quite liked what was going on. It wasn't just about paying for the travels. So, you know, met a few other people and they were going to to cocktail bars and I knew nothing about those things. Yeah. I literally drank bourbon and Coke and that's all I liked. Yeah. And just sort of started to, to learn more about that industry that was was in London and I used to go to, to lab for happy hour cocktails in Soho. Wow. And I thought it was just, the, it looked like the coolest job ever. They were having a blast and they had photos up on the walls of all the, all the parties they used to throw there. And yeah, ended up uh, working a few other party cocktail bars until I got a job at Hawksmoor, okay. which was, um, I'd already kind of been working for about three years behind bars, but it wasn't until I um, went and did my trial there that I realized I actually knew absolutely nothing. Uh and I had to make my uh trial drinks yeah. uh for the for the head bartender in front of the whole team who was having their staff meal in the restaurant. And uh they were no pressure at the all. drinks, the drinks were like I can still see them now. They were so disgusting. Not even you would have drunk that daiquiri. Not uh, <laughs> no. And uh yeah, but I, I stopped myself and I was like, oh, can I make them again? I made a mistake. And that's why they gave me the job because they, that I recognized that I made a mistake. Yeah. And I kind of um, learned a lot about, I sort of got broken down to build back up and, and learned about real cocktails that weren't woo-woos and sex on the beach. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when I was coming back to Australia um, after five years in the UK, I had, hadn't really, didn't know any bars in Sydney. I'd never lived outside of my hometown in Queensland. So, mm. you know, I just put a post up on the bartender exchange and I had a few interviews around and uh, went and did a trial at a little cocktail bar in Circular Quay called Bulletin Place, uh, which was uh, quite intimidating because I never really took it that seriously and I was a bit nervous and I really enjoyed it. It was a great, um, I did the trial with with Tim and Rob and 80 after they were expecting a boy to come to the interview. Oh, uh, so, right. Yeah, <laughs> so even before the trial when I, like, showed up to – to Bulletin it was like in an afternoon and there was like boxes everywhere the orders must have just arrived and yeah. it was just like 80 just shouted at the door being like we are not open all four o'clock uh, and I was like oh, I'm actually here for an interview they were like oh of course yes please come sit down all looking at each other um <laughs> it wasn't for a couple of weeks later that Tim told me that they were expecting a boy to arrive That's hilarious. Um, so I think I was a, a pleasant a pleasant surprise, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, and I will say. And I loved it. And I just decided that I had three trials lined up across Sydney, uh, but yeah. that's the job that I really wanted. And if, if they were going to give me a job, then that was definitely the preference. And they they contacted me the morning before I was meant to have my next trial uh, and offered me the job. And, and that was it. I got to work with those guys for, when, when, for two and a half years. And uh, it was when,
0: awesome. When, what year did you start there? When you come back? Uh, in uh,
1: 2014. Cool. Yeah, at the time it was... This the, would have been the three... when
0: they're, they're on the world's 50 best list and everything. That's correct. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't remember what number they were. 19 maybe. I'm not sure that's a total guess. But... They're, they're um, on the list. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're on the list. They're well, on the list. What was and... it like
0: working in a bar like that at that time? When Because uh, well, there was a lot of hype yeah. around the place. and Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anybody in Sydney. Like everyone I knew at Sydney in Sydney was, uh, those three guys, um, Matt Linklater, who was working there. Uh, and that was, that was it when I first started there. Uh, we often had some superstars come and do, uh, do a Friday night like, uh, Oxy and, uh, Charlie Ainsbury used to come into a shift every now and then. So I kind of, uh, didn't quite understand, that these guys are sort of uh who they were at that time. I was just like, I don't really know anybody. So sure. I'm just working in this tiny 45 seater bar that, you know, is so hot in summer. And you're yeah. just trying to make sure AD doesn't yell at you too much and, you know, try not to, <laughs> you don't want him to see you laughing at him. Uh so but it was it was awesome. And it was just kind of like I felt kind of in my own little bubble of of sort of pushing and learning um everything they had to show because I was, you know, worked with the three owners that all had very different um ideas so you'd you'd mean uh and matt used to make lots of jokes about you sort of had to change what you do depending who you were working with so sure. you know if you're working with 80 uh well a french 75 is always garnished with a cherry and if you're working with tim oh always garnished with a lemon twist so <laughs> often you just had to sort of shrug it off that you weren't always going to be right until you worked out how to how to please them sure. uh, but it was amazing it was the best it's uh it makes me sad to think that I can't have a drink there again uh, yeah. last year.
0: Well, it was, it's really one of the, I think it was really iconic as a, a way of doing Australian cocktails to that that level of like your milk and honeys and everything, but it was not serious like that.
1: Yeah. I remember Rob saying to me when, when they were sort of talking about how they came about to open Bulletin Place and they'd just written a list of all the things they hated about bars and they just didn't do that. Right. That was, and I was like, "That's so awesome." That's a good place Uh, to start. I think, I think that's why it was so great because I imagine a lot of people have similar things that they don't like about places, and yeah, so that's what they did, and it was very much a passion project. You know, Um, they told me in the in the early days before I was there, I think it was uh, just just turned uh, just about to turn two when I started there. Sure. Um, so kind of got off over the two year hump and. You know circular they had nothing there like when we would go on break um so at the time bulletin place was just that space so we had the coffee shop downstairs which is still there and there was a tattoo shop upstairs yeah and um before it closed that was a, an awesome prep area it was bigger than the bar but we had like a a hob that used to sit under the banquettes and all the stock had to fit under the banquettes so you had to guess what sort of stock you'd go through you wouldn't be able to get it mid-service if you ran out of something it
0: was just a tiny room it's a tiny room it was
1: a tiny room yeah. it was a bit cowboy but that's what i loved about it you know and
0: yeah. well the um, chat about then, it was the that they spent more on the hoshizaki ice machine than they did on furniture yeah but,
1: yeah yeah you um you would get in and you'd uh you'd have to start harvesting the crushed ice so the crushed ice was those little tiny machines sure. you'd have to get in there at 1 with the with the champagne bucket and fill it up. And if you didn't start, then you wouldn't have enough for the rest of the service. And you wow. never put a crushed ice drink on a Friday because you'd never you'd always run out. Um, <laughs> it was just all these like little these things that sort of you went through. And you know, if you forgot to pack something to eat that night, your options was pie face across the street or yeah. Macca's around the corner. That's all that was there. We had nowhere to eat. 80 used to eat um, salad out of the champagne buckets. He'd sit, sit on the back bar and just be eating like. <laughs> Wilted greens out of a, out of a stainless steel bucket. And
0: this is one of the world's great bars. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, the drinks were best. The, the way they made you feel like they knew every guest. Like watching uh, Tim and Rob and Eighty, the way that they interacted with people, it, mm. it was just like so genuine and so understanding. And they just knew exactly how to make that person the exact right drink.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned before you started that you maybe didn't take. Uh, cocktails and bartending as seriously what were were you like when you left there had that changed
1: a hundred percent you know and I didn't really know what I wanted to do I I've I've always liked working for smaller companies and people when you knew where you knew the owner Mm. um and I and I really felt that my time there working um particularly with Tim and Eighty and Slinky a lot as well I learned a lot from Maddie a lot of that was it was all about drinks so the the push to move on to somewhere else was these people have made careers out of it and there's so much you can do. So maybe I can go and learn um, something else. So I went and worked at Big Poppers for a short period with Lewis Jaffrey who taught me about dealing with difficult people, you know, and dealing with troublesome nights. And, you know, it was a very stressful experience, but I learned a lot and I still, you know channel lewis Jeffrey sort of chill way of dealing with the most horrible of people in those situations so yeah big big um,
0: offers for people who don't know that was what time was it open till originally before the lockout laws
1: 3 a.m we were always right. 3 a.m because we were um a restaurant license
0: oh that's right and people could so still as long come as the in. restaurant
1: was upstairs yeah. so even with the lockout so it's still there it's down on oxford street um in darlinghurst and uh i guess it opened in 2016, I think. You know, it was awesome because at that time there was nowhere for you to go after work. We used to go to the unicorn because it was the first pub outside of outside of the lockout zone. But this was like, you know, it previously was Hello Sailor and so which was already an industry place. So for it to be reimagined into a new industry place,
0: yeah.
1: Um was cool, you know. And it wasn't really until I knew um got to know uh, people within the hospitality industry in Sydney until I worked at Big Poppers. I've been like bartending for two and a half years, but anyone yeah. that ever came into Bulletin, they were there to see Tim and Adie and Rob. They were like, sure. you know, I was just polishing the glasses. So <laughs> uh, uh, it wasn't really until I worked at Big Poppers that I got to know the industry. You know, Shady Pines was only around the back. So we were there every day and everyone yeah. piled through the front door at, at you know, at 1.30 when other places they couldn't get into or, or if they were hungry after work, like you can come and get a full a full meal and a full delicious bottle of wine if you want or you can come downstairs and not do shots because we weren't allowed to do shots but you could drink daiquiris in more than one sip
0: yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) in more than one sip that's what i was doing wrong So you've also you also worked at uh, Black Pearl, and that's uh, you know the most recent job before the brand ambassador role. all. That's another bar that's been on the world's fifty best list. It's won countless awards over the years. If you've worked at Black Pearl, Pearl for any length of time, you're kind of a great of the industry. It seems like. What were, uh, what was it like going to work at Black Pearl, and uh, you ended up running the bar, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, I it was actually because of Matt uh, Linklater, who had worked with the Bulletin. Uh, he'd been approached. Um, by Matt Sterling, who was running Black Pearl, to come down and work in Melbourne. Um, and he off he went. He was like, "This is going to be great." And he came down here, and pretty much from the first week that he was down here, he would message me regularly, being like, "So when are you coming to Melbourne? When are you coming to Melbourne?" And I was like, "Not going to Melbourne. I've done that. I've, I've been in London, and that that weather was shit too. So I'm not going to Melbourne." And uh, he's like, "Just just come down and visit for the weekend." So yeah. I I came down for you know a hospital weekend. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I'd been to Black Pearl once before because the guys from Bulletin all met there. They worked there at different times, but they they all met there. And so I'd been there before, but I was like, oh, I don't really get it. Like, you know, I went there pre-renovation, and I was probably oh, yeah. a few few drinks deep, having been at the Everly previous. So I, um, you know, the next time I went, I went out with with Matt, and he organised like a dinner with like five or six of the other guys that were working there. Yeah. And I'd kind of had in my head, I'd kind of heard words about Black Pearl. It's a bit of a boys club. There are all these lads and, you know, uh, and I was like, oh, I just, just don't have the energy for, for such things, you know. Um,
0: <laughs> Why bother? But I went,
1: out, I went out for dinner. We went to Movida uh, in the city and it was uh, Matt Sterling, who if you haven't met him, he's one of the most wonderful people to be served by ever. Mm. Uh, Matt Linklater, Mark Leahy, uh Luke Sanderson, and we were being served by their friend uh, who was the chef there. And we got absolutely treated, you know, yeah. everything came out. We didn't have to order. We drank about 10 bottles of sherry. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> great. And I was like, these guys are cool. We were at heartbreaker and uh, we're having, having some drinks and the night's carrying on and Matt Sterling once again, who's a, who's a big personality and he's a, he's a pretty big, big lad and we're out the front of heartbreaker at 3am and he's just got me in the crook under his arm and he's like, So when are you moving to Melbourne? And I was like, oh, all right, then you guys don't suck. Uh, I will I will come and we'll do it. So yeah. yeah, I got back to Sydney and I was like, sorry Lewis, I'm moving to Melbourne
0: <laughs> Very good. I bet he would have loved that.
1: <laughs> he yeah, he came with me when I moved all my stuff. We drove the truck together, so he wasn't too heartbroken.
0: Ah, uh, see what a guy. What's like your big takeaway from working at Blackpool? What's the big thing you reckon you learned there?
1: Oh man, it's a it's a place, hey. Like it's um it's an institution for a reason. It's uh. It's what
0: twenty years old or something now, right?
1: On on August first or August second, I think is going to be uh, it's going to be twenty years old. So, yeah, I, I worked there for four years, uh, which is about the the average, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, you've got people that work there of upwards to ten years. Yeah. You know, Chris Hyset and Nathan Beasley. You know, big big names that have made a very big impact, and you know, people that have worked there very few people work there for less than two years yeah. and that's incredible in in this industry and it's um I really think that it's all the other places that I've worked I couldn't have worked at Black Pearl had I not done those things you know um a few people what? were like why why are you leaving bulletin place to go and work at Big Pop because it seems like such a crazy change to go from this small cocktail focused seasonality focused place to go kicking out drunk people and you know, explain to you why they can't have shots. Like, yeah. what do you, why? Um, you but if I hadn't have gone and worked there and if I hadn't have um, dealt with all those situations, probably sometimes not in the best way, but learned from people like Lewis the right way to do it and how mm. you can get best results working at a place like black Pearl, which is a, you know, a world renowned cocktail bar, but it's also open till three o'clock in the morning pre COVID seven days a week, close mm. four days of the year. That's it with without any kind of security and sometimes i mean it's probably an argument that goes on forever about security sometimes a lot of people think they make the situation worse i guess it depends where you are and what your license is but we You know, we've definitely seen our colorful situations where, you know, if you didn't know how to deal with people, you would get in a bad situation. But learning how to talk, and we did it all as a team. So from the very first day you work there, you're on the floor and you're in charge of how out the front looks. Make sure there's no glass on the ground. Make sure people are seated. You know, keep your eyes on the front door. Everybody sees everybody coming in. And then, you know, I did a lot of work with with the team over the years about, all those things that I learned from Lewis and passing them down, like, you know, we shouldn't be, uh, there's no, no reason to be aggressive or, you know, knowing how to deal with those things the right way. Um, yeah. cause it can be very confronting for for people, even if you've been in hospitality a long time to not have that sort of backup, I guess. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And it's not something that you do all the time, but you have to sort of have those skills. And, and later on, you know, at the time when I started there, they hadn't had a girl working there since, since Jenna and Kitty. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I thought there was a bit of a boys club before I worked there. And when I got there, it wasn't, wasn't the case, but it could definitely come across that way. So sure. we did lots of trainings about making the environment feel safe for women as well. And it's one of the things I'm probably most proud of, like drinks were delicious and, you know, we did lots of cool stuff and cool pop-ups and got to travel. And, but really it was like having women that I didn't really know that well come to my last shift to tell me how safe they felt drinking in that venue. Um, And I felt really proud that I felt that I taught all the guys there of what to look out for, because I think that in a lot of situations, if they're not your predator, you don't know that they're dangerous, right? Like if you think about the animal sure. kingdom, if they're not your predator, you just think that, oh, they're a nice guy, they're fine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that of all the things that I accomplished over those four years, that was probably what I was most proud
0: of. Mm. That's really interesting because because it is a venue that has had such a long life, right? And it's nice to see it sort of being able to get renewed and uh, updated in that sort of way.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, a lot of the people that come in and like, oh, I don't know anybody that works here anymore – when was the last time you came in? Like, it's it's, it's gone through so many different years of people working but there. But you
0: only you only need a visit or two, and then you know everyone again anyway, right?
1: And you're back, yeah. yeah. Or even just one. You know, it's the kind yeah. of place that I always described as you feel like a regular even after the first time you go there. Like mm. it's the kind of place. that when you're on holiday, you're on your holiday, and you find that bar that you just like, yeah. and you go there every day. We yeah. had so much of that over the years, particularly usually around this time of year when the Australian opens on, sure. we get Americans that would come in and they were just my favorite. They're my bread and butter. Cause they were like, they just get it. They know what they like. You can, you make good drinks. They want to sit at the bar. Um, get a tip. <laughs> oh, well they get like, oh, we heard you don't tip in Australia. I was like, that's incorrect.
0: <laughs> don't let anyone tell you that. So you've now been Never Never Decilian Co.'s uh, National Brand Ambassador since September last year, 2021?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: How, how, how did the role come about and was becoming a brand ambassador always part of the plan for you?
1: Uh, so I never wanted to be a brand ambassador. I, uh, you know, would avoid having meetings with people, so I'm getting my karma back, like, massively right now. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it wasn't really for me. I got why a lot of people went to it, but a lot of what I loved about hospitality and, and how I got sucked into working at Black Pearl for so long was I like – the adrenaline and that and being so active behind the bar and those interactions with people. But after five or six open, close, open, close, lockdown, it was getting harder and harder to get back into those, to get back into the, you know, the fitness to be able to do till, you know, four 30 in the morning and each time it was harder And, you know, you start to realise like, oh, my back's a bit sore. Oh, my knees are a bit sore. Um, It takes its toll,
0: right? It
1: it takes its toll. It's very physical. But a lot of what I loved about the job was physical. And when I was realising that I couldn't really do it anymore – or even I could, but I didn't really want to. I didn't really want to be in that much pain anymore. That I was sort of looking for other options, and um, my partner was also looking to get out of hospitality. So we just thought that well, this is a good a good opportunity. Mm. Um, and I gave you know about six months notice, um, <laughs> and was like you know we'll we'll I'll get everything rebuilt and we'll get going, but. A lot of it was about the parts of hospitality that I love, those conversations I wasn't having anymore. Mm. I wasn't learning anything. You know, I was teaching the guys a lot, but I wasn't actually learning anything other than laminating QR codes and, you know, reading COVID updates and you can't sit there and please, you're not allowed to stand up and please sign in instead of saying, hey, how are you? What do you like to drink? You know, like...
0: It's a difficult time to be behind the bar.
1: It was It's really difficult. And for the most part, people were good, but when you... Black is a very different place when you're doing yeah. table service downstairs with no bar seating. Like, it's a bit different. So, I kind of felt that it was my time to move on anyway. Four years is a long time. I've known the guys at Never Never since pretty much when they first started. George, uh, who's one of the, the owners, he came into Big Poppers on like a Monday night with a, a, a blank unlabeled bottle of gin and said, hey – do you know Sean Baxter? I think he was trying to name drop, just trying to see if I would taste it. And I was like, actually, I don't know. And he was like, Oh, okay, well, do you want to try my gin? Sean um, who? Yeah. I was like, must be the only person that didn't know who Sean Baxter was, but I was like, no. Uh, and yeah. And he still remembers that quite fondly. And I quite like that I met George before I met Sean as well. Yeah. Um, and then working at, at Black Pearl, the guys that always had a really strong relationship with, with Tash. And I guess, it had only really come out a year or so before I worked there. Mm. So we worked quite closely with them in terms of hosting tastings. We then went on to do a, a collaboration with them, uh, the Black Pearl uh, Never Never crossover Black Juniper Amaro uh, which I was lucky enough we sort of did a lot of work as a team but uh, it was actually Slinky and I, Matt Linklater, uh, that I that got to go to Adelaide to actually blend it and make it so it's a it's a really fun product so I'd been over there I'd been to the distillery I knew the guys and you know Sean and i had had a conversation two years previous being like you know if this is something you want to do we might be looking for somebody like that soon so it was already always kind of a conversation that He'd said, you know, if you're ever going to leave Black Pearl, let us know first, and maybe we'll be in a position to make a role because they'd never had, they'd not had a, a brand ambassador at that time. It was. Well, sure. Sean
0: Baxter used to kind of function as that kind of role, yeah. right? So yeah.
1: So he's he's my brand manager, and he uh, is definitely the he was definitely the brand ambassador. But he has um, now two small children, so he's probably never leaving Adelaide again. So uh, <laughs> he's I, done. Yeah. So I was hired as the first out of South Australia staff member, team member, yeah. um, full-time, and uh, primarily be looking after the East Coast and getting to travel. Um, I've already got to travel quite a bit because when I finished at Black Pearl on the 1st of August, yeah. um, my partner and I went on holiday to the Northern Territory and we were camping off, off grid. And while we were there, Melbourne went into lockdown.
0: That's when Delta uh, hit, didn't, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't know. Uh, Sydney was already in a bit of a mess. Um, so when we sort of heard that Melbourne went down, we were like, okay, well, we'll earn them in to be here 10 days, but we'll say 14 and we'll see what's going on. So yep. we just carried on camping around the red center. And then uh, I said, well, there's no point in us going back to Melbourne at this time. You don't have a job. And I don't have a job for another five weeks, so yeah. uh, we can we've been here fourteen days. We can enter Queensland, so we went to Queensland where my family are, yeah. uh, and we hung out there for a couple of weeks. And I called up Sean and I said, "Guess who's not in lockdown? Uh, I can come to South Australia as planned." And that's so what we did. So we're that in got the very UK. lucky, right?
0: That's very fortunate.
1: Oh my god! Like seriously, you, you couldn't you couldn't have planned it. Yeah. It was like dumb luck. We we <laughs> we went to South Australia, and I did the Sean Baxter of brand ambassador 101 sure uh and then it was very much a week to week cool oh you've been here for over 14 days oh we'll send you to perth so i'm probably the only person on the east coast that's been to perth yeah. in the last 12 months uh went to perth and then they sent me to darwin and brisbane and back to adelaide and uh so in total i was away for 17 weeks wow, um, wow. yeah with my camping backpack
0: for those who don't know about Never, never. Can tell us a little bit about the brand. It was started by three guys. They used to distill off like the, a wall or something in a yeah. <laughs> within someone else's spaces. It was tiny, and now it's it's become quite a big brand, right?
1: Yeah, hundred oh, percent. When um, I say
0: big, I mean successful. Yes, <laughs> <still> mean big.
1: <laughs> So the the three guys started out. Um, Tim, who is the master distiller, George, who I mentioned earlier, who I met in Sydney, and Sean, and they started out um, having met and discussed starting their own brand. Um, Tim was already sort of tinkering in his shed on a little five-liter hobby still. And he has connections that go back a few generations to the Gilbys. Uh, making making gin in scotland and he sort of felt felt that it was his destiny to make gin so in 2016 which is very much when the aussie gin boom was kicking off they decided to give it a crack throw in their throw in their office jobs sean was working for diageo uh traveling around um talking about whiskey and said yeah let's let's do it let's make something and yeah so they they Bought a still from Spark Brewing in Sydney, uh, sorry, in Melbourne, which was a display model. So they then had to put loads more money into it to make it actually work. Then they needed a spot to put it in. Um, and Tim went to uni with some guys from Big Shed Brewing. And they were like, oh, don't worry about it, guys. We'll move some some kegs out of the way and you can have the <laughs> corner there. So it all really kicked off with uh, like a 300 litre still in 16 square metres um, sure. at the back of Big Shed Brewing. Uh, which didn't even have running water. So they were, you know, farmer carrying water a couple hundred metres every time they filled the still and condensed it two runs a day, six days a week.
0: (laughs) Jeez. And and now now there's the – you've got the the distillery up in McLaren Vale and I – And I hear that there's another distillery being built to cope with the demand. Is that right?
1: We opened a a beautiful distillery door in McLaren Vale, uh, literally on the hill that overlooks the village. It's only about 45 minutes out of Adelaide. You can see all of the the beautiful uh, wine country plus the ocean. And Mm. uh, it's really wonderful. It's on part of Chalk Hill Wines. So we have the distillery door there that opened in February, 2020, just before the world uh, went to shit. And, uh, it's now going, it's amazing. They're so busy up there and they, they just take all the hits when it comes with, you know, any kind of restrictions that come in and out in South Australia. And they just uh, they just kill it up there and they've got the distillery up there. And we are just moving to another site because we sort of were still part in another distillery where we were sharing a space yeah. and have been um, since Big Shed. So we've moved out of there to another space that's pretty much only happened this month. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, every time they sort of move to a space they they outgrow it very quickly. You know. <laughs> well, what what um, do you
0: think is behind the success and like the the growth of the brand? Because it felt to me like it was pretty like it's a bartender favorite from when they first started. How much of that is related to the success do you think?
1: I think that's what they're most proud of too. They love that it's a bartender's choice. They love that, you know, when they when there's the hottest one hundred Australian spirits that it, it ranks quite highly and yeah. Um, that's, that's a real, a real goal for them. Um, I guess it's for me, the, the balance between what the three guys each bring. Tim is just got this like incredible way that's all self-taught of how he makes this spirit. And he's now passed that on to, um, our other distiller Jess, um, who's magnificent. And then you've got George who, you know, comes from a background of finance and gets business and, and understands all those loopholes. And, and laws and, and how it works. But he's also got a really incredible palate. Like it's really interesting going out to eat or drink with him because for someone that's never worked in hospitality, I'm blown away. Like he's, he's yeah. really into stuff like fermentation and cheese and beer. And you know, he's yeah. traveled to weird parts of the Middle East and stuff to, to try those things. And um, I think that's really important. And then you've got Sean who 18 years in hospitality from nightclubs to brand ambassador like yeah. you know he can take all those things he's he's learned from working for the big companies and scale it down for us right so even though we are still small and independent it's very much them bringing those three sort of legs to the tripod balances really well sure. um and I, and I always feel like when they have conversations with, with each other when I'm there that they're they're straight up. They're like, this is what I think, you know, and they'll argue about it or they'll agree about it, but it's, you know, the conversations are always there to make sure everything's well thought out, even if it's, you know, the positioning of a label on a bottle to Mm. botanicals or other things that are added, bittering agents into the Amaro, stuff like that. So I think that having that transparency with each other works really well.
0: How how important is it for, for you as a brand ambassador, I guess as brand ambassadors in general to get an understanding of the business side of things and not, because a big part of it is education and, and the creative side, I get. But there's also the business side these days. How important is that?
1: A hundred percent. And I think that, as I was saying before, I've always liked to work for, for people that I knew who they were or like work for small companies. So this is such an easy fit for me because I know the owners and you, know, you can work really hard because you feel... I think it's nearly you feel emotionally attached a little bit, you know, so you really want to work hard for them because you really want them to succeed. And if you have that transparency going both ways, you know, you can work hard to to reach the goals. Otherwise, it's like, cool, here's your target. This is what we want you to do. But if mm. you don't know why, then it's pretty hard to, to push yourself to make make it happen, I guess. And, you know,
0: some people are okay with that, though, right? Some people are like, okay, just point me in yeah. the direction. I'll go do this. Yeah. Some people. Yeah, I think
1: it. I think it depends on who who the person is, you know. Yeah. And I said that you know I never was keen to be a, a brand ambassador, because um, I'm I'm such a shit liar. So if I had to sell something, you know, because it's always like, cool. Um, you have to work <laughs> for this big brand. And you're like sick. Like that's gonna be awesome. But the the most thing that you need to sell is actually this.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, there's there's usually you know brand ambassadors usually have a couple of dogs in their portfolio that they're gonna push 100%. on you at some point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. I'd be so shit at that. And I mean, obviously if, if you can do that, it's awesome. Cause you obviously at the big, the big heavy credit card and you can do crazy activations and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, but I think I'm a little bit more ha- uh, happier to, to just say it like it is and be honest about what I think about the juice and be like, yeah, it's delicious. Or like, you know, cer- certain things in the portfolio I don't particularly love in terms of, I wouldn't, I don't normally go out and, and order it. But yeah. when I taste it in a panel, I can taste it. It's good. It just might yeah. not be my choice at that time. So, And I think that that kind of being transparent to whether it's a consumer or a bartender, because they can smell it out. They smell out the bullshit straight away. So it, it makes it easy if you can just talk yeah. like normal, right?
0: Well, bartenders are surrounded by so much bullshit just in their day-to-day job, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms of the kind of gins that never, never makes, they're, I guess the kind of traditional leaning to a degree, do you think that's? been helpful standing out in a marketplace that at the moment now is like there is so much gin out there there's something like 900 SKUs or something it's crazy do you think that helps to be a bit more traditional yeah or?
1: when they first started in 2016 or 2015 they that was a real angle because at that time that's when those Aussie gins were coming out and you know it was all about the Aussie botanicals which are which are great of course but mm. gin has to have juniper in it and you know that's literally the rule it's literally the rule it's like the so, only rule uh, yeah it's literally the only rule you can make it with whatever base fruit you want you've got so much flexibility but it's got to have juniper in it and i think that you know from my personal taste i don't i don't love a lot of the 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 Aussie gins that i try because they they're losing that they're delicious in what they are and what's in them but they're losing what I like to think of as gin because I love classic cocktails and I love their application. So it was really refreshing for an Aussie gin to be like, we're going to be a classic gin, but had that little contemporary twist. Like, you know, the signature literally has one botanical in it. It's a very small amount in there. So I think that that was a really good angle. I think that really got bartenders on board straight away because I don't know if it was just me, but I was like, oh yeah, like this is really delicious. But now I can't taste anything because lemon myrtle's blown my whole face off, you know? So, you know, they have, t- they have times and places and I think people's palates are changing a lot too, but I think mm. it's awesome to have that gin that does stand up next to, next to those Sipsmiths and Plymouths and, and, you know, Tanquerays and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Doing the Australian distilled spirits awards and being on the contemporary gin panel for a couple of years now. You notice that the, the lemon myrtle has been dialed back a bit, so that's that's good.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, <laughs> delicious, but just like a little
0: bit, guys. Just, just, yeah, everything in moderation. Uh, when it comes to doing your job, are you tasked more with dealing with consumers or with trade like bartenders and hospitality stuff?
1: It's been um, an interesting start because I spent the first 17 weeks on the road, uh, which was just like, cool, you'll do a consumer event, you'll do a, a bottle shop thing, and then you'll do an industry thing and rinse and repeat to the next city. So yeah. I came back to Melbourne at the end of November, just as stuff opened up and nobody wanted to see me because obviously places are, are new uh, or they've just opened. They don't have any staff and they're going into Christmas. Uh, mm. So it was kind of a weird, a weird time, yeah. uh, which is usually a time that I'm very busy. So it was weird to get used to this, you know, but Sean had said, he's like, you know, you've got to ride the wave when it's, when it's chill, make the most of it because it won't be for long. For sure. um, so I'm kind of just like telling myself that. So my role is kind of very flexible in terms of things. So I work with major retail in educating them so we can keep SKUs or add SKUs onto the onto the shelf.
0: And this is like Dan Murphy's and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so yeah. big big companies working a bit with those guys, small yeah. indie bottle shops too. Yeah. Um, and then uh, bar trainings and stuff like that. So they're really starting to ramp up now, and that's yeah. really my favorite part is the is the education side of it. But a lot of it at the moment is is relationship building because they haven't had anybody from Never Never over here for two years, yeah. and we were sort of doing pretty well with when the guys were over here previous to COVID. But that's all kind of tempered out a little bit, and with such a big push for for supporting local, which is which is fantastic, it's kind of been pushed to the back. To the back of the shelf you know hmm. not fully but uh, you know going that direction so it worked out good timing for for me to start with them and basically that's the whole idea it's all about you know advocacy and and visibility so yeah. you know just walk the streets in a never never shirt and uh somebody stopped me on the street in burley to tell me how much they liked my gin in queensland so i was like oh sick that's pretty good <laughs> yeah it was really good he like chase me down the street i was like this is weird
0: <laughs> that's a bit strange actually uh why, why do you do what you do what's the big thing that You know, gets you out of bed in the morning, goes to work.
1: uh for me, I think it's the it's back on those relationship building stuff. You know, it's it's hospitality is a people person job. Even though many will say that it makes them hate people afterwards, I don't think it's really true.
0: Yeah, have Um, you have you always been a people person?
1: Um, I think so. I mean, I come from a really big family, so you don't really have a choice. Like you're (laughs) you're just thrown into the middle of them, and it's just you know, don't drown. And I think that one thing that I'm kind of learning because I'm still relatively new to this job. So I'm learning a lot and sort of working it out as I go along is that it can be quite lonely because you're, you're by yourself a lot. So it's, it's building those relationships. So even if you're you can go in somewhere even for no reason and just be like, Oh, Hey, just wanted to come hang out or whatever. Like yeah. it's something that, um,
0: Everyone loves seeing know. the brand ambassador though. Right. They're all going to try and get a free drink off you. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. And you know, I always make sure I tell them, I was like, I don't have any sales KPIs. so I'm not here to sell you anything. Sure. Can I buy you a martini? <laughs> try this delicious martini. Uh, yep. it's, it's good. It's, it's, you know, still being within the hospitality industry, but not having to work till 4.30 in the morning. So it's it's been a really refreshing change.
0: Yeah. It does seem like more and more these days, uh, bartenders do want to become brand ambassadors and that's their sort of, they kind of go out of the industry that way. Whereas maybe before they're trying to open bars or, I mean, into group sort of uh, beverage roles. Like uh, on the one hand, I get it because, you know, there's often better hours and better pay and better conditions. But then we're also, we're losing talent like yourself from, from bars and from having bartenders opens the new great bars. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think that that's um, pretty true. And I think that I've seen a lot of bartenders that maybe weren't quite ready to, to go into a brand ambassador role, you know, go back the other way. Like you're not locked there mm. forever, right? You can be fluid. You can do it for a little bit and then you can go and open a bar or, you know, you can go into, you know, lots of people sort of move within them. Yeah. So I feel like as long as you're, you're still learning and, I guess it's just been a particularly different time with, with COVID without staff and losing those people. But, you know, I didn't want to be in service anymore. So do yeah. you want someone that doesn't want to be in service there? Like, probably not. <laughs> no, probably like, not. Like, I could still do it, but I don't want to, yeah. you know. So. With a side um, of and snark
0: that, and grumpiness, I, I would actually enjoy that. But
1: Yeah, there's plenty of jaded <laughs> bartenders kicking around, like, you know. Um. So I don't think that it, like, it necessarily cancels you out forever like I don't think it's retirement by any means and I think that we spent a lot of myself and my partner and our good friend we spent a lot of uh big lockdown in Melbourne the first one you know drawing up plans and you know we're going to open a bar and it's going to be sick and it's going to be cool and you know and then reopening Black Pearl uh in October last year or the year before, sorry, Mm. was horrible. Reopening was worse than being shut. I was like, oh, my God, who'd want to be a business owner right now? And I was like, delete the file, guys. I'm not doing it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, uh, I guess it just depends what you want to do. And there's so many options and so many avenues. Mm. And it's really awesome to see some some new bars coming to light as well. Like we've had a few nice seeing bartenders that have been kicking around for a while, um, to, to begin to open their own bars around town in Sydney and in Melbourne. And there's nothing it's awesome.
0: Bartenders opening bars is the best thing ever. For sure. For those who don't want to go on and open their own bar or they don't want to stay in the actual main game of hospitality. How can people prepare themselves to get into a role like an ambassador role? Is there things that they should be doing that you think they should do?
1: I think it was interesting. I mean, I had four zoom interviews with Sean and he was very organized and I have scripts and, you know, all this stuff is very organized, but a lot of brands don't do that. A lot of time you're just kind of like, yeah, cool. You know, here's a suitcase with some booze in it and a card. See you later. But I had like proper Baxter bootcamp and we have lots of communication in that. So I guess it depends what kind of skills you have. Like I really and learning a lot in terms of sales and from our sales team, like it's a whole new language. Like I had no idea about off-prem at all. Like I couldn't, I never went into bottle shops. I would just buy from the bar. So I was like, unless I was buying, you know, UDLs or something, I hadn't a clue about how they work. And I, you know, I, I was just really honest to be, I was really honest about what skills I did have and what I didn't and would need help with. So, Mm. you know, I'm, getting pretty good at, uh, spreadsheets these days, but I was pretty average, you know, and there was a list of things that they wanted and there was things that they would, um, can teach. Right. So it's kind of like when you hire, hire anybody within like a bar, for example, like, mm. all right, well, we can teach you how to make, you know, a Tom Collins or whatever. That's easy. But if you're a jerk and not nice to people, yeah. then we probably don't want you. So There's no for I you. guess, I guess that when they were looking for me and why I was attracted to the role, other than knowing them and and knowing the product, was they were they were willing to to teach me and show me those things that I didn't know how to do because they wanted the the bartender side of me in, in terms of the relationships that I had and mm. you know I felt com- comfortable to walk into a bar I've never been into and ask to speak to somebody about gin like being yeah. confident in certain things um, and I just didn't bullshit about it because I think you just get caught. Uh, I didn't say, oh yes, I'm a master of of spreadsheets. Don't worry about it, and yeah. I know all about sales and marketing.
0: Yeah, I know how to I know how to YouTube something for Excel. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I could barely get this this uh this recording on today, so you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've literally yeah. just um, yeah, just the transparency and knowing that that was a job that I wanted to go for. Like I've seen people go for brand reps because they think that that's what they want, but maybe it's not necessarily a brand that you. If it's something you can do and you think that you know you can you can sell it regardless, then that's awesome. Um, mm. But I think just making sure it's it's the brand that you want to work for and the job that you they're going to offer the support to get you there.
0: Yeah, but everyone wants those jobs. You got to compete against like heaps of people. Surely there would have been yeah, heaps of no, people but- interested in doing your job.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've Gotta watch my back. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I guess you know. Well, then you just have to be yourself because I think that if. Yeah you're the right fit for it, then it, it works. It's weird if you don't want people being like, oh, I've never seen you working for that brand. That seems a bit weird. Whereas yeah. most people have come up to me being like, oh, that's such a good fit.
0: Yeah. Um, what's the lay of the land right now in terms of actually going out in the world and being able to do your job with COVID? Is it going to get better, do you think?
1: I hope so. I don't really know the difference because I didn't do it before. So it's right. I'm, I'm sort of learning as I go. It looks like travel is going to open up a bit easier in terms of how I was traveling last year but we still managed so that's another part of I'm really excited about is is getting into other parts of Australia and, and traveling and and mm. that's a huge attraction to the job for me.
0: Are you going to have the opportunity to go evangelize this overseas as well say in Singapore and? and um, beyond? I hope
1: so I don't know I, I really want to go to Hong Kong because we we did a collaboration with them and I'm dying to have the drink
0: oh, was that? Um, that made was, by them. Was that we a, made a Argo was we, it?
1: Yeah, yeah, at the Four Seasons in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, so I'm dying to have the martini made by Lorenzo there because it looks just insane. You know, yeah. minus 40 degrees and there's hydrosols involved. And yeah, it looks sick. So, uh, but I don't know what the lay of the land is there. I guess yep. New Zealand is probably something that we can look forward to um, at the yep. second half of the year. But uh, at the moment, I'm just, I'm just hanging to get to get up to sydney to be honest love it up there so uh it's great that i get to spend more time up there
0: well we'll have to catch up for a drink when you get up here
1: absolutely
0: thank you so much for spending some time to talk to me about it all
1: thank you for having me
0: thanks again to shay chamberlain and thank you to you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode please if you've got any feedback or if there is someone you'd like to hear from on the podcast my email is sam at boothby.com.au i'd love to hear from you And if you are enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend. I'd love it if you gave it a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify Podcasts. We're on there now as well. Uh, You can also find the podcast on Amazon Music and Android and Google. Until next week, I'm Sam Bygrave. This has been Drinks at Work by Boothby.